Hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. Happy February. Welcome to Raw Tools. I am Luke Slaybaugh. If you like the show, feel free to like and subscribe and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Share it with a friend. Got Joe DiTulio on this week. He's a writer for GameHouse.com. It's a startup. Check it out. He writes for the NFL. NBA content, NFL draft content on that website, thegamehouse.com. He'll be talking some Cincinnati Bengals. And it is interesting as we approach the Super Bowl matchup between the Bengals and the L.A. Rams at SoFi Stadium in L.A. A lot of storylines. One in particular, uh, Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, was mentored by Sean McVay as their quarterback's coach when the Rams made that Super Bowl run couple years ago when they lost to the Patriots. Those 2019 coaching hires were all about who knew Sean McVay. That was kind of the trend. Cliff Kingsbury went to the Cardinals. Uh, Matt LaFleur to the Packers. And uh, Zach Taylor was a hire that a lot of people didn't see working out. It was a meh hire at the time. It was... He was an unknown. Uh, Great playing experience, uh, success where he went as an assistant. Uh, And this year is really the first year where the team has made that jump to the next level. Uh, The jury was still out on whether or not Taylor was a good coach, but uh, the modicum of success that they've had this year uh, really speaks volumes. What they often tell you when you graduate from college and when you get your first job is you get the first job in order to get your second job. The first place you go, the first work experience you have is to set the foundation, put those building blocks in order so that you can ascend and take on a role at a second place, different opportunity. It doesn't always happen like that, and it doesn't always work out. Uh, But in the case of Zach Taylor, I think this playoff run establishes that If things don't work out in Cincinnati, he will find a job somewhere else at some point. This won't be his last or only coaching stint. Things weren't going swimmingly the first two years in Cincinnati for Taylor. This season definitely got people on the other side of the fence as to whether or not he was a bad or good coach. And we still don't know if he's a great coach. Uh, Even coaches who win Super Bowls sometimes are not the pillars of sustained success. John Gruden being one of them, and more recently, Doug Peterson. Peterson has interviewed for head coaching jobs this coaching carousel cycle, but we don't know. My takeaway for Zach Taylor is that he will get a second job in the NFL if this doesn't work out. And with that in mind, I am going to make my Super Bowl pick. I'm picking the Bengals. Here's why. I expect an historic performance out of Joe Burrow. Quarterbacks who are great leaders go into a second gear on the biggest stage. And you saw two of those in the AFC Championship game. Love Patrick Mahomes. Love the Chiefs. They'll be back next year. But there are maybe five quarterbacks in today's game who get better in must-win situations. 
when the going gets tough and it's crunch time, you know that no matter what happens, you have one guy who can lead you back to victory. And Joe Burrow was one of those guys. Joe Burrow got knocked on his butt nine times by the Titans. Nine times. It did not matter. He still stuck it to the highest-seeded team in the AFC. Only one other quarterback had survived nine sacks in a playoff game. It's Len Dawson, Hall of Famer, Kansas City. And Burrow, like Dawson, is an Ohioan. Ice in his veins. He's got that Midwestern grind that never stops. And Burrow is made for the Super Bowl. There is no one more capable of making the hero play, that big pass play of 25 yards or more, than Joe Burrow. There is no one more efficient. He's in his second season, and he's got more than 12 yards per completion. He is the centerpiece of this full throttle, burn the boats, take no prisoners offense. And the guy has all the confidence in the world. When he takes his first snap at SoFi, Rams fans, if you decide to show up, Burrow will not hear you. He is absolute money and must-win games, elimination games. We know this from his time at college and his work so far in the playoffs. He's got the tunnel vision to take his game and this Bengals team to the next level. Stuck to the Chiefs twice. The dude's got that tunnel vision. All the pressure is on the Rams' D-line. Yes, they're one of the best graded in the NFL. How many sacks did they have against the Niners last week? It's called Google. You should use it. Aaron Donald is the best at his position in football. Barely shows up in that box score. They didn't come close to what the Titans did, sacking Jimmy Garoppolo zero times. And if the Titans' effort wasn't enough to stifle Cincinnati, I don't know what will. Chiefs only had one sack against Burrow as well. And in terms of secondaries, I was actually surprised to look this up. Uh, teams who gave up passing plays of 40 yards or more, the Rams actually conceded more of those than the Bengals did. It's a slim margin, uh, 10 to 8, but still an interesting note. Burrow is going to be able to burn the Rams if he so chooses, if he can work under the pressure and the duress that he has unfortunately suffered all season. We're starting to see the value of the quarterback position, the value of the skill players, the receivers, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. You live with the results of what Burrow gives to Chase and Higgins. Can you intimidate him at all? Can you crack him under pressure? I think this game's going to shape up to be a firefight. It's going to be tough to contain Cincinnati. Odds makers now know that Cincy is for real. The Rams, who sold out to get this championship, signed the free agents, made the huge trades, mortgaged their future and got rid of those draft picks. They're stacked with talents on both sides of the ball, and they are just three-and-a-half-point favorites today. Three-and-a-half points? 
I imagine if you told someone three weeks ago that this Super Bowl was going to be Rams-Bengals, they would have said, ah, LA's at home, Bengals aren't going to make it out of the first round, 9, 10, 11 points. This spread is ridiculous. And it's telling you that Vegas knows that Cincinnati is all the more dangerous. No, they're not supposed to be here. They're coming to L.A. with reckless abandon, and they're taking what's theirs. Do I expect the Bengals to contain Matt Stafford and Sean McVay's offense? Absolutely not. They're too powerful, too experienced, and too creative. Cooper Cup, OBJ, Van Jefferson, Kendall Blanton these days, all can burn you on any given play. These play callers are artists. Feels like this game's shaping up to be a Jackson Pollock painting. Joe Burrow had Chiefs fans shaking in their boots. They knew. Hopefully LA already knows. They know what to expect. I'm taking Cincinnati in a tight one. Expect a firefight. Strap in. And oh, by the way, f*** Stan Kroenke. My guest this week is a writer for thegamehouse.com. In fact, he manages the football, basketball, and NFL draft content for thegamehouse.com. It is Joe DiTullio. He is Cincinnati, Ohio's own. Joe, welcome to the show. How you doing? Pretty good, especially after the Bengals got the big win. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am a fan of your Twitter account. I can't say that I've known you for that long or have really followed or connected with you outside of this week after the Chief, or after the Bengals beat the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. How has that win just rocked the community that you're in? Oh, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it started with the first playoff win in 31 years, and then they would get the first playoff win on the road in franchise history, and then it just kind of all built up to the AFC Championship. And I don't think it's even fully registered for a lot of people, but I've never seen people so excited in my life in Cincinnati. Uh, we haven't had a, a championship since 1990 with Cincinnati Reds, and we have people in bars going nuts. We have people like emotional. I've never seen that, and you know, just walking the streets after the game in Cincinnati, there's people driving down the street. They're, they're just getting a, a feel for this environment, this emotion, and, you know, screaming who at everyone. It's something really bringing the community together. It's really nice to see. On a day-to-day basis, when you're working your nine-to-five or when you're out going to McDonald's, how does that excitement manifest itself? I mean, you get who days from everyone now. It's a day-to-day thing. Uh, it's something that this city really hasn't had much of. I mean, over the last... 20, 30 years, it's just not the greatest history. And I think, um, you know, just even the simple thing that, you know, saying who day to someone just really brings people together and, you know, sports overall bring people together, but having that common team and that city that you're behind, it's really, I think, been really, really positive for this community. You personally, where are you at emotionally knowing this could be your team's first Super Bowl championship? I'm not doing the greatest emotionally. I'm sitting there in the second half of all these games, like with my head in my hands and freaking out and thinking that like, hey, if the last 30 years has taught me anything from this team, that it's not going to go well. But I think it's been more encouraging, you know, Joe Burrow's confidence and uh, is starting to kind of 
bleed through to the rest of the city. And I really do think that uh, it's becoming one of those things like, oh, we're going to screw it up into more of a confidence because of the confidence that Joe Burrow has. In my experience, a lot of people that I know have always used the, the term bungles just as a pejorative <laughs> or to describe Cincinnati. And in the last several years, there was a lot of bungling going on. What has been the difference, uh, if not just Joe Burrow, what else has made you know, Cincinnati just buck that trend completely? Yeah, I think it's total like top to bottom change in the organization. They've really put a lot of time, effort, money into building this thing out, whether it's um, communications, just kind of getting with the fans and kind of having a better feel for what fans want to drafting better to spending money in free agency. These last two off seasons have been really huge and they still have a lot of cap room to spend in the future. So it's really been more of a, I think from top to bottom, Joe Burrow, getting Joe Burrow is awesome. And he's totally changed the franchise, but they've set this thing up well. Uh, some weaknesses too, just like every team has, but they've really set this thing up well from top to bottom with their with their investment in the franchise. It's only been a couple of drafts uh, under head coach Zach Taylor, but it seems like they've hit on their top picks uh, when they mattered most. And it seems like they're coming through in the clutch on the biggest stage. Yeah, I mean – Burrow, I mean, I think it's important to remember Burrow wasn't like the surefire number one pick before his senior season. I mean, everyone wanted to attack Veloa. Um, Justin Herbert was still a name out there at the time. And it's it's crazy that they've they were able to see his progression as a senior uh, at LSU with that championship run. And they were able to hit on him. Jamar Chase, there was a lot of debate with him and Penny Sewell. Um, you know, I know the offensive line still needs some work, but Jamar Chase has been a game changer. T. Higgins the year before that, too, with, with Joe Burrow's class. Uh, those picks in particular have been been really, really good. I think um, hitting on your first-round picks is definitely important. Uh, and it's something that they didn't do before, like Burrow. They've had plenty of guys they've had to trade or cut, offensive linemen. Uh, Billy Price, they had to trade to New York before the season. Wasn't probably going to start for the Bengals. So it really has been a change of just hitting on your first-round picks and then finding some gems later in the draft. I loved that T. Higgins pick a couple of years ago. I covered him in high school. I saw him progress eventually go to Clemson be a star there and so it's really rewarding to see someone that you've actually you know been on the ground level with do really well and succeed uh, you just started going through re-watching the AFC championship game what were some of your takeaways for the Bengals heading into the Super Bowl I think it's uh something with this team that we kind of noticed all year is they, when they're aggressive, they play really, really well. And that's why they've been a good second half team is because maybe the first half hasn't gone so well, but second half, they need to be aggressive with their play calling. And that's made them a, a, a competitive team that could beat anyone in the league. Uh, a lot of times they become predictable. Though. They'll run the ball a lot on first downs and, you know, it just becomes predictable for the defense to stack the box on those downs. But I think, you know, you have Joe Burrow. He's a great quarterback. You have to trust him in terms of play calling um, that's something I want to see specifically in the Super Bowl. Uh, just kind of start start off strong, kind of keep your foot on the gas from second one to the last minute of the game. And I think defensively, they've really shown really good adjustments. Uh, I think from half to half, um, getting in the second half, especially with both Chiefs games that they've won, they've really shown good adjustments on what they're doing. It's been, I mean, this past game they dropped in coverage a lot versus Pat Mahomes, and then. Uh, they kind of had some timely blitzes, but for the most part, just let him sit back in the pocket and make him be patient. And that's worked. So I think a similar 
um, type of thing might happen in, for the Rams, maybe in a different way, but it's a different game plan. But I think the adjustments they've made has been huge. Why are they running the ball so much on first down? I think they want to establish it. I think they know they they don't have the greatest offensive line this year, as you can tell by the sack numbers with Joe Burrow. Um, but I think they're, they're trying to get the run established. I think they're trying to um, make sure they get mixed and involved because it does seem like it kind of fades as the game goes on, whether it's because the game gets closer to the end, you're trying to preserve time, or whether they get down. Um, I really do think they want to be that physical team that can run the ball as well. Um, but it just hasn't worked out that much. And, I, you know, against the Chiefs, they also – I think they ran the ball to set up the screen game a little bit too, get the get people pushing up the field and everything. It just – it didn't work out. And that that's okay. They were able to bounce back still. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's just to establish the run is kind of like every coach's cliche thing as they want to do. So it's kind of what they're going to stick with. The Bengals were looked at preseason as a work in progress and that this year was supposed to be a stepping stone not a competitive deep playoff run type of year. Does it seem like they're trying to establish some stuff that might not be there yet, or they're just not completely ready, but they've got to throw something out there anyway? Yeah, that's kind of does seem that way. I mean, honestly, as, as you said, like I think the over under for wins on the year was six and a half for the Bengals. I thought they hit the over, but like barely, like I thought it was a year they kind of take a step forward and grow. Um, but yeah, I think they've just they have they've built up a lot of this team. They spent a lot of money on the defense. Obviously, got the weapons on offense, and they just need to invest in the offensive line this offseason uh, and to protect Burrow for the future and to help establish that running game. It's just hasn't quite been there. Joe Mixon's having a pretty good year, and he's run behind lines that haven't been the best. But uh, this offense can even get better in the future if they do kind of establish a better offensive line and a better running game. Speaking of teams who have been aggressive and spent a lot of money. The Los Angeles Rams have essentially mortgaged their future to compete for the Super Bowl this year. They don't have first-round pick until 2024, and they are the favorites in this game. If you'd have asked someone before the playoffs, oh, it's going to be Rams-Bengals, probably would have made L.A. like a 9- or 10-point favorite just because they didn't think at all that Cincinnati would have made it this far. But now it's like three and a half points on the line. So people are, are starting to know. Um, odds makers have started to adjust. I wonder what will be the, the toughest challenge, the game within the game, the toughest matchup for the Bengals against the Rams. I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one and have two. <laughs> I think it's going to be the interior defensive line um, for the Rams. you got Aaron Donald against a defense offensive line that has not been that great this season. And with protecting Burrow and establishing the run, the Rams have one of the best run defenses in the league. So that matchup with the interior line, I think is going to be like really like an X factor to watch. But I'm also looking at, I mean, on the outside, you have Jamar Chase versus Jalen Ramsey as the potential matchup. And when you're talking about Jamar Chase has established himself as one of the best receivers in the league against one of the best corners in the league. Uh, Joe Burrow has had that comfortability with Jamar Chase. He kind of was slow in the first half against the Chiefs. He came on in the second half. Uh, is he going to be able to have T. Higgins, uh, you know, have a big game in the first half and then maybe adjust? Do they move Jalen Ramsey around and cover just one? Do they do like what do they do with their coverage there? Is kind of really, really impactful on this game because, you know, Joe Burrow showed against the Chiefs. He can throw it to T. Higgins too. And, you know, he's he's found Tyler Boyd before as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's those are kind of the two things I'm watching the most in this game. 
I'm trying to decipher this tweet from Brian Burke of ESPN. I think you retweeted it either today or yesterday about the the pass block versus pass rush win rates for either team and and the run block and and run stop as well. It appears that the Rams' pass rush win rate is number one in the league, and Cincinnati is close to the very bottom in terms of blocking that pass rush. They're at 30th. And it's the same thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's reversed for Cincinnati and L.A. L.A.'s run block is not as good. It's kind of mid. But it seems like they're outmatched in um, pretty much every phase um, on the interior. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 that's what I'm mostly concerned about. That's why I've had my doubts about the Bengals. Uh, it's just, you know, so long the game's been won in the trenches and it's, you know, Joe Burrow um, being sacked so much has kind of affected some of their games and made them lose some games. And it's definitely not encouraging. And I think a lot of credit, I mean, Burrow already gets a lot of credit, right? But a lot of credit needs to be given to him, uh, you know, being able to escape the pressure, keep plays alive. Uh, if he was someone who couldn't move around, uh, it probably would be a lot worse. But, you know, against the Chiefs, there was plenty of times he ran and got first downs and escaped pressure on some a lot of quarterbacks who may have been sacked. And, and I like what you hinted at, is that the Bengals aren't good in the trenches. By overcoming these lopsided matchups against Tennessee and against Kansas City, what have the Bengals proven to the rest of the league? I think they've proven they they have a really, really good quarterback and their outside weapons, if they can allow Burrow to get the ball out quickly or if he can't get the ball out quickly, you know, can he make the play? Can he scramble and buy more time, which is something he's shown, like I said, since his senior season at LSU, uh, they're a really dangerous offense. So uh, that's going to be the key here, too, I think, is just getting the ball out quickly. And if you can't, you got to hope and pray that Burrow can find someone downfield like he continually has in this whole season. I think that's ultimately what doomed Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, the Niners in that NFC Championship game is that by the end of the game, they were not able to sustain the pressure that they were getting from the Rams defensive line and they, and they threw the ball away. But I, I feel like we're seeing the league kind of trend towards the, the skill players, the finesse players, making it a more favorable type of league for a T. Higgins or a Jamar Chase. Um, Specifically, those that that outside attack. Um, I'm just, I'm very. It feels like this game could go so many ways now. It feels like we, we counted out the Bengals in round one, or at least Vegas did. But but now it seems like there is a legitimate chance for them to win this game against one of the more impressive teams. Offensive linemen and linemen in general, they're always going to be in demand. You always want big you always want physicality you always want that pressure and that speed from from a defensive lineman Aaron Donald is a superstar for that reason um but somehow some way it kind of feels like the Bengals are the future while while still competing like they are kind of bucking the trend and being maybe that first team to really prove that you can win without those staples in the trenches it it certainly feels that way it's been a lot of close games and maybe that's, that's the reason because of that. But um, I think it is like a lot of the league is just the offensive line plays declining. If you, if you look at what many experts are saying, there's less practices and pads, there's kind of like less development because of that. And they're just not as, not as solidified as they were back in the day. And maybe that's a lot of analysts maybe being nostalgic and maybe I am too. Uh, but it does seem like there's like, 
you know, two or three teams that think their offensive line is maybe the best in the league. And then maybe a lot of other teams that think their team is just really bad in the trenches. And, you know, seeing it with a lot of different young quarterbacks, too, like Tua and, and Miami as well, they have a really bad offensive line. And they were able to almost make the playoffs despite him being injured this year, too. And, and I know he has not had the greatest season. And a lot of people are in or out on him. But, like, it's really hard to win without an offensive line a lot of times. But I think you're right because a lot of teams are having these issues. I think it's going to become maybe more of a norm unless they're able to practice the pads more often soon. And as you mentioned, the Bengals and Joe Burrow don't play scared. They're taking a lot of risks. And that is what has led to such a big reward um, rather than some of the teams who would rather play it safe. With that in mind, what is your Super Bowl prediction? I've thought long and hard about this. Um, I'm picking the Rams to win 31 to 28. I'm a Bengals fan. You know, nothing would make me happier than to see the Bengals win. But I do think that the trenches matter. I, you know, still when there's that big of a discrepancy, I think it probably matters. I do think we're trending in a way where it may not matter as much. But I think they're going to win maybe last second field goal. It's going to be a very, very close game. The Rams have the home field advantage. Uh, even though the Bengals will be using the Rams locker room because the AFC is the home team this year, just a little nugget there. Um, but no, I, I think they've sold out for this Super Bowl. The Bengals are still in growing mode and they're going to get there and they have a couple more pieces they need to add. But uh, the Rams, you know, OBJ, Cooper Cup, uh, the offensive line, Andrew Whitworth, former Bengal, um, being on that left tackle spot. I mean, they they have gone out and gotten everyone imaginable to win this. So I do think they end up winning. I'll be cheering like heck that they don't get that win. <laughs> and for the reasons you mentioned, um, I think I'm picking Cincinnati. Um, just for what we've just talked about. I've grown up rooting for teams and seeing teams sell out for a championship. And it never works out. Like, like maybe 10% of the time it does. But I was a Cubs fan in 07 and 08. And they spent $300 million, didn't do anything. Uh, the Red Sox in 2012 spent a whole lot of money, didn't work. Um, I mean, even the Lakers this year, bringing on uh, Russell Westbrook and uh, Mello and all that. Um, I just, I, I, I don't see that happening. And I also, I had Cincinnati over Kansas City last week. I did not make it public, nice. but to the people whose opinions mattered, I said, it's going to be a firefight. Joe Burrow will not be phased um, by Kansas City. And at first, when I saw 21 to 3, I was like, oh my goodness, oh wow. Um, <laughs> I thought I was an idiot and I still might be, but um, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> I love the quote. Uh, yeah, no, that's the, that's the thing is like football is the ultimate team sport, right? But the reason that they have a chance is Joe Burrow, right? Like, this is what he's done is incredible. And I don't think. You know, he gets, as I said earlier, he gets a lot of credit, but I don't even know if we can fully comprehend what he's doing uh, with the offensive line that is struggling so much. I believe fully into Joe Burrow, and I don't think he's going to be phased by the pressure uh, as something that he's shown throughout the playoffs. But I do worry about if you get sacked, say, you know, you first down, you have a run like they've traditionally done on the runs. They get first down to get two yards, it's second and eight. Then you get sacked, and it's third and 15 or so. They picked up a lot of big third downs this last even the last end of the regular season too. Uh, I don't think it'll be phased, but it's obviously much harder to get those, those longer, those longer passing attempts. And uh, the offensive line improvement against the chiefs really 
maybe will help that. But uh, yes, my lack of faith is, is a little bit disturbing. I, I have all the faith in Joe Burrow, and I'm hoping that, that he can kind of help make this thing come through for us. I'm looking at the box score. I just want to make sure that this is correct. Um, Kansas City only stacked him one time. I believe so. Yeah, they they had him clean for most of the game. Yeah. I mean, that was one of my one of my points was that I mean that that's a proud defensive line room. Frank Clark, one sack. He got knocked on his ass nine times against the Titans and still won. I don't know. I got, yeah. Aaron, Aaron Donald's going to put on superhero performance. That he, he, he's got a betting line for Super Bowl MVP, but he's got he's got his work cut out for him because you can sack the guy nine times and still lose. That's uh. That is something else. I wanted to quiz you. Just one. This is this is fun for me, not not for you, and okay. no pressure whatsoever. So you're a Bengals fan. You've mm-hmm. been your entire life, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is the only player who's had their number retired by the Bengals? Uh, it was just this year, I believe. Anthony Munoz, seventy-eight, isn't it? Um, if it was this year, I didn't see it, or the news articles were wrong. Um, <laughs> hold on. Um, well, they just they just started the Ring of Honor, and the only two inductees uh, they put in the Ring of Honor were Paul Brown, and it was Anthony Munoz, who was 78. Okay. Um, I did not see that. If, was, it's, if, it, if it is someone else, I mean, if there's someone else before him, then that's fine, too. I could have got it wrong for sure. Yeah. Um, so their official website says that their first draft pick ever is the only man who's had his jersey retired. Do you know who that is? Um, I, oh, my God. My dad is going to be so mad at me if I don't know this. It was I like 67, say, 1967 AFL. Yeah. <laughs> um, would it be Bob Johnson? Correct. Uh, yes. Oh, my God. I'm glad you got that. If you look that up, it's totally cool. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Um, yes. Reason I say that I lived and worked in Knoxville, Tennessee for three years and they honored one of their SEC championship teams. And I, it's one of the national championships that they claim that no one else really recognizes. It was like 67. They won a national championship, quote unquote. And Bob Johnson was the captain of that team. He was also a finalist for the Heisman award as a center. Um, but he was there. He directed like the band and stuff for like one timeout. And I was like, damn, that's super cool. This guy played in the NFL for the Cincinnati Bengals. And so today I was like, got to flex that Bengals knowledge. Um, <laughs> there you go. But no, Bob Johnson is that dude. He is a, he's a great, great man. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, Bob Johnson, the GOAT. So we don't know each other that well. Um, and I would assume that my listeners as well, um, either from your recommendation or mine, maybe want to learn a little bit more about you. So I don't know a bunch. Uh, says you went to Xavier University. So you're a Cincinnati lifer, I assume. Uh, you majored in sports management. And now you're writing uh, for the game house. What's the dream? Uh, the, the dream is... Um... You know, went to Xavier, Cincinnati guy. We, me and my buddy out of college, started this this website, and 
kind of started as something we did off on the side and it kind of grew into something we could do more full time. So we want to push this website out there. We want to make it uh, still very much involved in Cincinnati and the Cincinnati community. Uh, but, you know, I'm I used to mostly manage the sports side, as you said, and he he manages the esports side. We think that sports and esports are kind of the future and people want to have a place where they can follow both uh, in the same spot. So uh, it's pretty good for me, obviously, being you know, a sports guy, being able to talk about the Bengals all day and everything. And he's very passionate about the video games. And that seems like what the future is going to be going to. So so you want to be a writer? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Writer, you know, I, I the editing is fun too, but like the writer and, and the NFL draft stuff, specifically college football, is is a whole lot of fun. It is prevalent that the esports bleeding into pop culture. You'll see publications hiring for esports hosts and writers, and people who don't really like sports will come up to me and ask me about esports. And I have to say, sadly, my knowledge is still a little bit lacking on that front. What makes the GameHouse.com unique? I think it's that we have both. And not that other sites don't have both, but maybe they try it for a little bit or they don't fully commit or they don't think that esports and sports are equal. But at the base level, it's all competition. Uh, and it's just a new way to compete. It's just something that maybe technology didn't have back when sports were getting bigger and everything. So I think that and making sure that we provide as much coverage as possible we're still a startup but uh, we try to be really really good about how much coverage we have on both esports and sports it's becoming harder and harder to to find uh good written work and in terms of online you know online websites uh people are cutting back and we're trying to provide that because we do think there's a market for that and then even grow further and be able to provide podcast videos and, and more things like that where people can enjoy our content in many different ways. That is an interesting dynamic. It's a tough market for content creators these days because anyone can write and put stuff out there and even cultivate an audience, but there's no guarantee that it's ever going to lead to any sort of exposure or reward at the end of the line. How is the website doing right now? Uh, you said it's a full-time job? Yeah, for a couple of us, it is. Um, we are continually growing. Um, our eSports was like getting a lot of the viewers to start. It's just kind of how it was. There wasn't as a lot, I mean, there wasn't as much competition for it to start. I mean, there's not as many people writing about it and it's about to blow up in sports. It's something we've had to work harder at to kind of build the viewers, build the following. But uh, yeah, we're just keep on growing, keep on doing better. And you're kind of surprising yourself, honestly, at this point. Uh, you know, we work hard. We, we try our best. But uh, it's still just surprising how far we've come in just the last several years. You mentioned the NFL draft coverage. Uh, how do you tackle that subject? I so I watch college football all year long and then kind of get some, you know, basic opinions about players, maybe take, uh, take notes during the games and everything. Uh, which maybe is a little bit excessive, but uh, I just like doing it. And then I uh, offseason comes, I start watching more and more tape. I've already done mock drafts throughout the year. I think just putting some of that puzzle together of what you think might happen is really fun. Uh, so I try to do it on a semi-regular basis because, you know, readers are out there looking every week. Who are the Bengals going to draft? How much did they change in the draft order? Uh, all those things. So I try to do mock drafts continually. Then I watch tape and kind of try to highlight players strengths and weaknesses. And then at the game house, a lot of our writers will do kind of the team strengths and weaknesses too. So we kind of put more of a full coverage on it. 
Uh, it's something that uh, we want to keep on growing going forward, but to really just help for me, it's more of like uh, I watch these guys in college all the time. I know that not everyone watches college football. I know maybe they don't know about who the prospects are. So it's for me, it's more of a, you know, they want to see something. I want to help them figure out who these guys coming in are, who the team might draft. It's really just a fun way to connect with fans, honestly. What are your plans for the combine? Uh, we'll probably be watching and watching every single day. Um, I usually um, kind of like take notes who the winners and losers of the combine. Um, just a lot of fun to watch that as well. One thing I thought was neat when the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow was that familiarity. You get a Southern Ohio guy, different side of the state, but still Ohio. Ohioan, he's familiar, he's comfortable. He can ease his way into routine. He's not going to Jacksonville or LA or somewhere where he's completely foreign. How much of an influence does that regionalized approach to drafting benefit teams? I think there's more familiar. I think it gives them a safer pick in the terms of there's more familiarity with the player, whether they've had someone, you know, someone in the Bengals office had to have seen about Joe Burrow when he was, you know, in high school in Athens or whether he was at Ohio state, um, the Bengals drafted in the second round last year, uh, Jackson Carmen, who played left tackle at Clemson, then moved to right guard this year. He's kind of been in and out of the starting lineup, but he trained uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, I think for a little bit with the Bengals, former offensive line coach. And I think drafting those local guys, the guys who are from the city or played college at the city, it just, I don't know if it like works out better, but I do know that there's more familiarity. You probably know the person a lot better. Yeah. I mean, even like T Higgins wasn't that far away from, from Knoxville to Cincinnati. I, I don't think I've done that drive before. I've done Knoxville to Cleveland before, which is, ugh. but I, even that, like it's, it's so it's close enough on the regional type of U S map that I just think that's fascinating and a trend that people might carry on or, or figure out later. I don't know. I'm getting in my head here. Uh, Joe Burrow has uh, on record hated on Skyline Chili in the past when he was in college at Ohio State and before that. Why is that acceptable? Uh, because he won a playoff game. That's it. That, he's, he's, the, uh, he's the guy who helped leave all these fans, like, uh, you know, make them feel great for the first time in 31 years. Um, you know, I, I do remember people bringing up that tweet during the draft and saying, oh, he doesn't like Skyline. He can't play in Cincinnati. Um, you know, we like our skyline in Cincinnati. It, you know, it's, I, I don't think if I would have been, wouldn't have been born here, I would have liked it, but I was, so I do. Um, but yeah, he's the only, he's only allowed to do it because he's so good at football. That's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You've spent a lifetime rooting for Cincinnati sports teams and you have not yet witnessed a championship. What makes being a Cincinnati fan so rewarding? I think it's partially that it's a small market franchise. It's kind of feels more community based. Um, and I think that's, that's huge. Like it's not something that, as you said, with the Rams that they're kind of like selling out for a championship. Bengals have never done that. The Reds sure as heck have never done that. Um, we hope they can, you know, maybe do that, maybe get a cool trade deadline acquisition for the Reds or for the Bengals, you know, maybe spend a lot more of the cap space, but they've just never shown that. So when it happens, it'll mean a whole lot more, I think, than for franchises like the Rams who have sold out or like the Yankees who, you know, pay all that money and 
sometime, you know, get the 28 championships. <laughs> and I love the confidence, the when it happens, not if it happens. There's a lot of optimism, a lot of confidence these days. And even I read something about Burrow and the players, you know, saying, you know, we dem now and not so much who day. So it seems like there's an identity now in Cincinnati of a winning culture and a winning franchise in town on the up and up. Yeah, I think a lot of things in the city has changed. I think, um, you know, getting FC Cincinnati as a soccer team in, in Cincinnati, like that fan support, I think it really showed the passion of the Cincinnati fans. They're there uh, when the product is good, when when people, when it seems like there's something that could be really, really special. They may not waste their time when things are looking so poorly. They get the kind of the bad moniker of Fairweather fan, but I think they're just, you know, intelligent fans and they want to support um, teams who are like putting it out there and really, really trying hard. And I think that, I mean, that's shown with the Bengals playoff run. That's shown, you know, even when the Reds make the playoffs, it's shown FC Cincinnati being able to move from a small second level team all the way up to the MLS and, you know, just a lot of passion in the city. Well, here's to a lot more wins and success. Be sure to check out thegamehouse.com. Joe DiTullio, thank you so much for joining the show. Good luck this week, man. And uh, you got any plans, partying, anything like that? I think I've been going to the same bar for the uh, for the Super Bowl or for the playoffs all, all through the playoffs. I think we're going to the same bar. We're not, you know, we're a little superstitious here. So we're going to try to go to the same bar, wear the same jerseys and everything, and hopefully bring home a Bengals win. Not superstitious, but a little bit statuous. Uh, which bar? Uh, tin Roof down on the, uh, the banks by the uh, Ohio River. Tin Roof. All right. Bengals versus Rams. Going to be at SoFi Stadium. And I hold to it. It would have been a lot louder if it were in St. Louis, but it's not. Joe DiTullio, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for joining the show. Um, best of luck. Yep. Thanks for having me. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much to Joe DiTullio from thegamehouse.com for checking in. If you liked this podcast, feel free to hit the like or subscribe button, leave a rating, comment wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week.